singing. Thank you very much. Well, we are glad to have you here. And um, just so we have been going through the book of, of Mark, starting through, we started in Genesis, and we're taking a kind of detour for a little while because coming up is the resurrection of Christ next month. And I thought, you know what, one of the things we want to do is prepare in studying a little bit about the background of Christ and uh, background of Jesus. And so we want to get in that in a little bit. But uh, we are also thankful. I'm thankful for the men who were able to come out uh, yesterday and for Dave. Uh, the men put up with uh, the cooking that uh, is um, Dave and I did. And uh, we had a good men's breakfast, and we are thankful for that. In the future, we'd also like to do a ladies' event as well. But a few things coming up in the future. And I know we have the announcements coming up. But just want to remind you, uh, check out the website. It's growing a little bit. We're adding things but also want to remind you to be connected, and we want you to be a part, because we believe the local church is the people. And uh, just uh, at the end of the month, uh, we're going to have a fellowship uh, dinner after um, at the last uh, um, Sunday of the month. Just want to remind you of that. But as we think about this morning, Jesus' mission, and uh, last week we talked about who was Jesus. And Mark, his presentation of who Jesus was is a little different. Um, It is a perspective of Jesus in action, and we're going to see a lot of action. Some of you might be like, you know, I'd rather sit and watch. There's those who like to participate. Those who are like, I can't participate anymore. I'd like to, but I can't. And we're all different in our personalities, in our backgrounds. But as Mark writes, and it's interesting because he's definitely um, one who writes from a perspective of action and uh, things that are accomplished. And we see that throughout uh, Jesus' ministry and from his perspective. Reminder, just a background, that Jesus um, was calling his apostles, and we see here who Mark. Mark was probably an interpreter of Peter. And just the background, we see that, and the firsthand experience. But follow along, if you will, I'm going to be reading Mark, um, and we're going to look at his mission today. What was Jesus' mission? And some background, but we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verse 29 through 45. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 through 45, and I'll be reading from the New King James and also from the Holman Christian Standard. So starting in verse 29, it says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because of this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons." Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. 
Immediately the disease left him and he was healed. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places, and they would come to him from everywhere. Shall we start with prayer? Heavenly Father, we just ask that you truly would allow your spirit to connect with our lives. And Lord, help us to be submissive to your leading. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truth that he gives to us. Thank you for the lessons we see in the life of Christ. Father, we are thankful for Christ because without him, we would be nothing. There is no Christianity. If Christ was not who he said he would be, um, who he claimed to be. And Father, we truly believe that in faith as we read the scriptures. We're thankful for the truth it gives to us. We're thankful for the record we have to be able to reaffirm our own trust. And Lord, we just ask that you might guide us and lead us and help us to be obedient to the truth that he gives to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. It's interesting as we read about Mark, and even as I was studying and looking at even in the first chapter, we see the word immediately. There's often that uh, all of a sudden, immediately, things occurred, and it wasn't over a period of time. Immediately this took place. Immediately they left. And the first thing we're going to look at, even as we looked at in the past, just to get, re remember where we left off last week. Jesus had just healed someone. As we look back in chapter, um, chapter 1, verse, uh, what was it, 20, 21, he went into Capernaum, and he entered into the synagogue in the, on the Sabbath, and he began teaching. And they were impressed because he didn't teach like the scribes. He taught with authority. And we talked a little bit about that, how he taught from the word of God. Sometimes uh, the scribes would take a, a truth and then put their own spin on it, how you should live. So, for example, washing of hands was one of the regulations. The Bible says you should wash your hands before you eat. And even the sanitary um, evidence that Jesus gives, the reasons for that are beneficial. But the scribes would take it one step further. They would say, well, first you have to wash um, before you eat. Then you have to wash again before you eat. Then you have to wash your right hand. Then you have to ha wash your left hands. So they would put all these prescriptions on how you wash your hands. The text simply said, just wash your hands. But then there, this other rabbi said this, and so they would put their own spin on it. But Jesus teaches them, and the words of God, and, and people are all impressed because, wait a second, where did this come from? What's taking going on? And then in verse 23, it goes on and talks about the unclean spirit. And... Um, he claims and says, declares who you are. And Jesus rebukes him and says, be quiet and come out of him. And uh, they were all amazed. And the news spread quickly. And so that's kind of the background as where we're at. News spread quickly and what takes place next we see in verse 29 is that as soon as they left the synagogue and they were in the area of Galilee, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once. In other parallel passages, we have, here she is probably laying in a bed, maybe a prostate, but she's laying, and with a high fever, Luke talks about. But the first thing we see here is of Jesus' concerns. What were Jesus' concerns at this time? And I try to break it down a little bit, but as we see Jesus' concerns, first of all, Jesus' concern was for the future. And what I mean by the future is both for his preparation for the ministry, but also, I believe, for his apostles. Because if you think about it, he had called the apostles, and then all of a sudden they see these great works. 
And that can be overwhelming. But looking at this, Jesus performs a great miracle, and now he retreats to Simon and Andrew's house. And back at the first century, at that time, it would have been gated. It would have had an open courtyard. There would have been some isolation to it. People would come to the house, but it provided a little bit of privacy. And they needed that at that time, and Jesus needed it. But also, I believe the apostles needed it because they're probably understanding what took place, what's going on. We understand that Jesus, who he is, and they were willing to follow him, but they weren't sure of what the ministry would look like or what it would be in the future. And so Jesus was concerned about the future. But also, Jesus was concerned about family. Because as we come in, he comes into the house, and in verse 30, 31, we see, obviously, Peter was married. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, it's, it is acceptable for marriage to be in the ministry. It's interesting because I was reading an article even about the Pope was saying some of the older ones, maybe they can be priests. It's interesting how the, um, they are changing some of the regulations, understanding. But obviously, we, we know that Peter was married. And um, his mother-in-law is there, and she is ill. And um, Luke 4, 3, 38 mentions that Peter's mother-in-law was with a high fever. It just wasn't with a fever, but she was with a high fever. And she was, um, anytime there's a high fever, there is a, a danger, even medically speaking. You have to put the, um, cool their temperature immediately. But Jesus, what does he do? He simply takes her by the hands. He doesn't say any words. And this is a distinction between Jesus and some of the others who are trying to do miracles and even modern day. There's incantation. There's words. There is uh, something that they do dramatic. But yet here, Jesus simply takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and she is healed. And we see that... uh, um, There are no words. It just simply occurs. And it reminds me of the story as we look back of the woman with the issue of blood. Just seeking to touch the hem of Jesus. And he knows immediately the power withdrew from him and and he, he recognized the issue. But a simple touch from Jesus obviously changed her life. But we see the power and the fact that he cared for her. And she immediately gets up and serves them. And... It's important to understand that um, Jesus' concerns at this time. But even about, we see the next thing is for formality. And as we see, alliterated future, family, and formality. And what do I mean by formality? And let me just explain a little bit. In verse 32, it says, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole town was assembled at the door, and it goes on. But it's interesting because there were times where Jesus healed um, on the Sabbath. We see it later in his ministry. But at this time, he waits because in Jewish culture and customs, remember the day started at sunset. And so he comes in the household and the people waited and he didn't say come and bring them out. But what happened is Jesus followed the Jewish law and rested on the Sabbath. And according to the Jewish customs... We understand at the official end of the day, sunset ends, whereas we think, you know, at noon, that is the new day. But at that time, it was sunset. Guess what? It's now the next day. So once sun goes down, it would be tomorrow. It's kind of like if you were in um, flying over to Guam or Australia and then come back here, you know, you're, it's like they're already in tomorrow, 18 hours ahead of time. But understanding what occurred is that there was now... Um, a new time, 
And so the new day occurs, and so, but Jesus waits. <laughs> and so here we, we see that Jesus lived within the boundaries, the normal boundaries, uh, precepts of society. He didn't always do that, so it's interesting because at this time he did. He chose to wait, and I think the application, humanly speaking, as we look at the believer's concerns, Jesus' concerns at this time, but the believer's concerns are the same. As we think about our own lives, we are, to, we are concerned for the future, how it affects our lives and how we can share with others before death and the return of Christ. You know, as believers, we think about the future. What is a whole? We sang about Jesus Christ is coming, and we look forward to that day. But oftentimes in our own lives, sometimes we're so concerned with what is taking place presently. And I think it's important that we need to look at the future, our spiritual future. We have to plan for our future as well. Um, you know, if we didn't think about retirement and say, oh, Jesus is going to return tomorrow, then I think that would be frivolous and it would not be acceptable. But we also need to consider, I think, our spiritual future as well. What is our future and what does God have for us? And what is our role even as believers in Christ for that? And also, are we concerned for family? There are family who do not know Christ. And then thinking about the, um, the formality we seek wisdom in how to live amidst the, tide, the changing tide of opposition to biblical principles. And in our society, it is very comfortable to live, but it is becoming more opposed to Christian and spiritual principles. But yet, how do we live within culture when, you think about it, when there are laws and when there are individuals who are opposed to Christian living? And do we, are we ones to kind of impress upon them spiritual principles or Christian principles? And I think even as we look at the time of Christ, looking at um, how we should live in today's society, I believe that we are to abide by certain regulations, even though they may seemingly restrict our Christians' freedoms. And let me clarify that. There are biblical mandates that we are to follow, abide by. And those are important. But I think sometimes as believers in Christ and living in the United States, we have certain rights. Uh, maybe it's the right to um, carry a Bible. You know, you can carry a Bible in school. And, you know, they've taken prayer out of schools. And it's true. They have, but, you know, oh, we have the right to pray in schools. And I'm all for prayer in schools. But sometimes I think we push those rights above our testimony for Christ. Sometimes, you know, even in things, should we pray in a restaurant? You can if you want, you know, but... Sometimes we try to, we can hurt our Christian testimony, and I think we need to be sensitive about where our spirituality conflicts, or not necessarily conflicts, but where we try to put our own personal Christian rights above where we can be a testimony for Christ with others. And there's a delicate balance, I understand that, but I think it, when we're aware, sometimes in restricting our spiritual freedoms, we can have a greater testimony for other, um, to others about Christ. And that may sound um, almost antithetical, if you will, of what we're trying to accomplish. But if you think about um, our testimony for Christ and what Jesus was doing and just the concerns, how he had to continually evaluate what his mission was. What is our mission even in, in our, our world today? What are your major concerns? Are you concerned for family? Are you concerned for 
you know, your friends. Let's just start with family, and I'll get off this little soapbox if you will. But you think about family. If you have a family member who is saved, a brother, sister in Christ, there are some who are more concerned for the relationship than the individual. And so just understanding that our relationship with Christ, how can we win them to Christ? If our goal is to win them to Christ, how effectively can we do that? If we're always trying to say, change their behavior, you need to get in a church, you need to do this. Instead of sometimes looking for opportunities and how we can be a light testimony to them. Sometimes we're one who, and I'm not going to elaborate on this, but it's just, I just want you to simply think about what is our goal and how can we, in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, accomplish that goal. Because sometimes we have our own mindset of how we think it should be accomplished, but also evaluating the opportunities that God gives to us. And sometimes it might be through our own testing, through our own trials, that we can have a greater impact to allow Christ to shine in our life with someone who is a loved one. And uh, even in the restriction in how we live. So just thinking about that, hopefully. My goal is just to think, think about the context. But also next thing, as we think about the concerns of Jesus, as he prepares for the future and his ministry, because this is early on. Also thinking about what were his priorities. Because as a believer in Christ, what were his priorities? Verse 32 to 39, it states, he goes through here and says, When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So to give that background, first thing we see is the problems of the people. Whether we want to admit it or not, the problems of the people, Jesus was, had a, a priority of taking care of the problems of the people. And here we had, he had compassion on the people, especially the nation of Israel. And so news had spread. All of the sick and demon-possessed were brought to Jesus. And I truly believe that there would have been an increase of demon possession and spiritual activity, if you will, because of Christ's ministry. If you think about all the accounts of demon possession and demon activity, they occur during the Gospels, a majority of them. And so as we look at this, um, news had spread, they bring all other people, and there were no hospitals at that time, you know, no urgent care facilities, no clinics. Scripture states that all of Galilee had come out, and probably they wanted to witness what was taking place, and or if you had a sick, if you had an issue with anything, you know, say, oh man, I have an ache over here. I'm going to go to Jesus because he can fix it. He touches it and he healed it. You know, we go to a hospital. Sometimes we don't like to go to a hospital or um, have something corrected because of surgery or because of nowadays it's deductibles, the high costs of health care. But guess what? Um, in the medical field, you know, thinking about that, there were no health care lawyers. And Jesus was not a, a specialist because you could go to him and it's like, oh, I don't do orthopedics or, or I don't do plastics or I don't do, you know, that. What was nice is Jesus did it all. He just touched it. He could heal it and take care of it. But he cared for the problems of the people. And he drove out many demon possessions. And as I talk about demon possession, it's here. We believe that, um, I believe from Scripture, demon possession, it probably was these fallen angels that are demons and they obviously had an active role in opposing Christ. But it's interesting, they also knew who Christ was. And they wanted to speak. And Jesus says, don't speak. But we'll get to that in just a second. 
But here the demon possession, what is demon possession? We don't see demon possession that much here in our society today. But uh, at that time, demon possession, it, what included, as we see examples in the Gospels, there was speechlessness, there was deafness, there was blindness, fierce behavior, unusual strength, convulsions, even foaming at the mouth. And these were all clear examples. Most normal people, hopefully, I haven't seen, witnessed any of you um, participating in any of these behaviors, and I thank you for that. But um, unusual strength, you know, and it was just obviously strength that would be beyond. We understand that, whoa, that is, and even um, working in the hospital, um, we see some of those with Down syndromes. You know, it's amazing because they, they are small in stature, but they have an unusual strength to them. And so you just see, obviously, the the fallen angels, demons, maybe they modified the genetic code, but they were able to give them an unusual strength. So we see something going on. And exorcists and magicians, that they, the word they used at that time, sometimes used spiritual forces or invoked names to try to get them to come out. See, at that time, what happened is people would give an incantation or they would, there were two main methods to try to expel the demons. First was try to invoke the name of a higher demon. So if you see some of the different examples, they say, I command you. If you see in Paul, they would say, I command you in the, the God of Paul to come out, as we see. Um, and guess what? The demons respond and say, wait a second. We know Paul. We know the God, but we don't know you. And so it, they overpower. Different examples. And that was one way that they tried to get the demons to come out. Or um, they would call the name. And, you know, we know it throughout Scripture, there's times where they say, we are legion because we are many. But the other way they tried to get the demon to come out was kind of revolting. They tried to revolt or um, expel the demon through, through scaring the demon. Sometimes, you know, like a, a back in, if someone has the um, um, hiccups, you try to scare them, blah. But they try to scare the demon literally out of them, or they put something revolting in this person who had a demon. And I was reading, it was kind of interesting. I'm glad that we don't do this now, but they would take a smelly root or some kind of something that was really strong and awful smelling. You imagine this, and they put it up the possessed person's nose in hopes that um, it kind of drives out the, the demon and this poor individual, but like, walking around with some extreme smelly thing root up your nose. And uh, that's how they would try to get them out. But almost all the occurrences are in the Gospels, and they represent an active opposition and outburst of satanic activity toward the work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wanted to deal with these because that, that was an issue of the people. And Jesus cared about people, and there was suffering that occurred in his people. And as I think about the parallel to David, David cared about his people. And he, he loved those people, and he wanted to um, not see them hurt. And Jesus cared about the nation of Israel. Here they are, and he had the opportunity and ability to heal them and care for them. But the next thing we see, the second thing as far as the priorities, not only the problems of the people, but the plan of the Father. The plan of the Father. Verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place. And he was praying there. Jesus understood his role. He also understood his, if you will, human limitations. When Jesus fully God came to earth, we understand that he gave up the divine use of his attributes some of the time. The ability to use. He never ceased being God. But to take on human characteristics, and it's hard for us to understand, but 
Early in the morning, he went out. And the Greek indicates that that was the watch that indicated it was between 3 and 6, just before it was light. So he went out to this deserted, isolated place to pray. He had to get away from people. But here we're given insight to the importance of the emphasis of, of prayer. Prayer as we see it, the dependence upon one higher than ourselves, upon God the Father. And he, he saw that the needs of the people could have been a distraction to the Messiah's intended plan. No one wanted to see suffering. I'm sure that he didn't want to see that. But Jesus had the power to stop all of these physical ailments, if you will. But yet he went out and he needed rest and even dependence upon God the Father through prayer. And it wasn't in his own strength. And I think it's even important as a church body that there are many things that God accomplished through the church ministry of Grace Baptist Church. But it's not in our own strength. It's through God the Father. And when we as a corporate body of believers, individuals, are praying that God would increase this body, that God would help and minister to the, the physical problems and issues of the body to the spiritual issues of the body. It is God that receives the glory, but it's also the emphasis upon our, it, it is demonstrating our faith being the object of one worthy of our trust in, in God the Father. And here, it, this, Jesus understands that the distraction of ministering to the problems of the people, but he had to emphasize and refocus, if you will, on the plan of the Father. And then as he comes back, it's, we see here in verse 36 or 38, it says, And Simon, those who were with him, searched for him, and they found him. They said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Instantly there's a change of direction, if you will, a little bit. He could have stayed there, and people could have brought, continued to bring those who are sick and those who are suffering from physical problems. And, and really, the text, we don't see it clearly, but the original text, it talks about how it was an intrusion, an interruption. Everyone wants to be healed, and everyone wants to see the miracles. You know, they're here, Jesus, they're here for you. And I think probably if I were an apostle, I'd want to see more too. would be like, wow, can you believe this? Hey, I know Jesus. And I don't want to speculate, but just the fervor that was going on, it would have been a very chaotic of just awe and astonishing. Look, here's this person who hasn't been able to walk. Here's a person who was sick. Hey, we know that, so-and-so. And all of a sudden, they're healed immediately. Be like, wow, you know, he's going to do it again. And that would have been just fascinating. But, but Jesus refocuses in the evaluation. And the next thing, the preaching of the message, the priority here. And it goes on and says, Jesus states that they, have, that they must move forward to preach there as well. And there are numerous miracles in this region, the whole area of Capernaum. But if we also understand later that Jesus condemns some of this area because they did not believe. They saw all of these miracles, and so much took place in this area, in the sign of signs and miracles. But yet often there was not a great belief on Jesus being the Messiah. They were more fascinated, I think, upon the miracles. And sometimes that can occur even in today's society where we want the miracle, but we forget about the power behind that. And so Jesus later condemns this area for their unbelief. And the believer's service to others must always be people-centered and have an evangelistic emphasis. Spiritual warfare will always seek to oppose us, and we must remember that it, we are to seek God's plan for our life. And, 
as this church grows, just want to continue to emphasize our desires to permit God to build his church through us so that he can receive the glory. And that's an important element because our, our goal as a church is to honor and glorify God and to be a testimony of what he's done. If you think about your own life, what God is doing, what God has done, hopefully you reflect and think about, wow, even the simple things, what God has done, it is a testimony, and you are a testimony um, of what God is doing, and you have the opportunity to share that with others because that will be the greatest um, evangelistic tool that you can use. Last thing we see here is not only Jesus' priorities, but also Jesus' problems. And even Jesus had problems as we think about it. But looking at what was Jesus' problem. Verse 40 through 45, it states, Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand, reached out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, he told him, be made clean. There's that word again. Immediately the disease left him and he was healed. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And there it is. So he said, follow after this regulation. And guess what? That'll be a, a testimony to them. So the first thing we look at Jesus' problem is, first of all, the predicament that he's put in. Verse 40, the man comes to Jesus with a serious skin disease. And there's a great great stigma with any illness because oftentimes at that time people believed that if there was a, a issue or a skin disease or deformity it was because of a sin if you think about the gate beautiful when uh, there was man begging at the gate of the temple and they're walking with jesus um Simon peter and, and they said to him who who sinned this man or his parents and that was often understood or associated with that because as we look at that, and so there was a stigma, whether it was a skin disease, but they couldn't spend time in public. And so here, Jesus is given this predicament, and what happens is this man comes to him, approaches him. It's interesting the faith that is demonstrated here, because he says he trusts in God to heal. Look at his words as he says. He says here, if you are willing... You can make me clean. There is a definite faith. And remember, faith is not just simply a blind faith. Faith is, we look at, believing that God will do what he promised. And it's not in ourselves. Sometimes there's these faith healers that say, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith. Well, the emphasis is clearly wrong because you can have enough faith and, um, you know, faith that you're going to fly, faith that you're going to do things, and it's not going to occur. The clarification is where the object of your faith rests. And here, the faith was in Jesus, but even he says that, I have the faith. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And it's clear there, understanding that. And then the response, as we see that, is that he comes with humility. If you will, please, you can make me clean. And so Jesus, moved with compassion, touches him, and immediately that skin disease leaves him. And it could have been, I know there's some with eczema, there's some with skin diseases where they couldn't even show themselves in public because, oh, it's contagious. And there are certain regulations and laws that the Jews had where they couldn't be in public. If it's an open sore, and some of us, you know, looking at that, oh, what do you have, leprosy? And there is still some leprosy colonies. There's one out in, even in Hawaii um, that someone was telling me about. 
But um, there's some misconceptions with leprosy as well. But here, Jesus is given that predicament and he heals him immediately. Second thing we see is a proclamation. Is Jesus' problem with this proclamation because what does he tell this individual? He heals him, but he says, don't tell anyone. Sternly, the emphasis is upon don't tell anyone. But he proclaims it wide, widely and spreads the news. And Jesus even gave the prescription, tell no one, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice so that you can live normally among the rest of the people. I don't want you to make a big deal of this. And he can't do it. He can't contain himself. He's just going to go tell everyone. And that was contrary to that. And the reason is, I truly believe, because what was Jesus' mission? Jesus' mission was to, to eventually be the savior of the world and to die on the cross. And he fulfilled that mission. It wasn't to, to be the Messiah as the Jews saw him, to be the one who removes the Roman role and sets up his kingdom. And as we see here, the pursuit um, verse 45, the last one, we see the problem of the pursuit. Because what happens is he goes and tells everyone, and then the problem is repeated again. All these people from all over come to him and want something from him. They want him to heal them. They want to see the miracles. And Jesus could no longer travel without being recognized and mobbed by people to perform a healing or see a miracle. He would not be able to find rest nor peace from his people. Sometimes we want to be famous. We want to be rich. But also, what price tag is that? What comes with that? You know, it becomes very isolationary. You know, if you're very well off, you know, people always want something from you. You have to evaluate. What do they want? Or if you're, you know, um, a medical doctor. I have friends who are surgeons, and everyone wants free medical care or free medical prescriptions. It's a story, reminds me of a story of a guy who, um, you know, this, this, you know, lawyer who asks the doctor, hey, you know, can you see my daughter for this? And gives it free medical advice. And then says, hey, doctor, I have an issue. Or, hey, you know, the lawyer, I have an issue with, um, you know, uh, a, a property I own. He says, oh, yeah, just call my secretary and uh, you can, and she'll put you in it as appointment. But uh, he would have to pay. And so it's kind of, you know, the, the favors there. But there's always something that somebody wants. And Jesus, just to understand that there are always the demands, if you've been a mother, you understand the demands of a children. They always want your time. Or if you're an individual, maybe in business, you know, you always have, whether it be employees or bosses or maybe those individuals who want your time. You understand that. But imagine this 24-7, always trying to, and you can actually give them something that they need. And that's the dilemma, the pursuit. It would have weighed very heavily on, him, on Christ. But it's important to understand because he would not be able to find rest nor peace from the people, but the purpose of Jesus' ministry has been displaced by something good, but was not fulfilling its original priority. Because it wasn't wrong to heal these people, but what was the priority of the ministry is to preach and to share with them the message of why the Messiah came. And so as believers, we must be careful of doing good things, but not get distracted from fulfilling God's intended purpose for our lives. We must remember that our ministry and skills are not ours, but God's, and that he can take them away at any time. He does not need us, but desires that we seek and fulfill the intended role within the local church that God has for us in order that he might be glorified. I just want to look at two things here because it's important. We must not get distracted from fulfilling God's intended purpose in our lives. 
See, Jesus' mission was to fulfill the plan of God the Father. And as we look at that, that is important because two things. So next slide. Go to that next slide. Jesus' mission was to fulfill the plan of God the Father. However, our mission is to continue to seek out God's plan for our lives each day. And what I mean by that is sometimes it talks about take up your cross daily. But understanding is that no matter what stage we're at in life, God isn't finished with us. God still has a plan and purpose for our life. And if we keep that in mind, the sovereignty of God in our life, even daily, as we go through life's events, there is no insignificant acts. Things that we encounter, people we encounter, sometimes we don't always understand that. But when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, there are encounters, there's opportunities. Maybe it's simply to be a godly witness to a husband and wife, to a grocery store clerk, to someone who comes into our path. But yet we have the opportunity to impact people for Christ that some others might not have. There's people that you have within your sphere of influence that you'll be able to encourage or maybe that God wants to encourage you. God wants to be able to bless you or that you would have the opportunity to bless. But when we're sensitive to God's leading in our life, it becomes a daily occurrence. And we start looking for those and being sensitive, being aware. How does God want to use me? And it takes the emphasis away from what can I do and self-serving, but becomes serving in the sense that God is going to use me today for his honor and glory. That There's an excitement to that because you are being utilized, your purpose on earth. And there's no greater satisfaction, no greater peace in knowing that God is using you. Sometimes we may never know how we have impacted others. Maybe a kind gesture. Maybe a gift. Maybe simply words of encouragement that you have given to someone at a time where they needed it the most. But yet when we're sensitive to God's needs, our mission is to continue to seek out God's plan for our lives each day. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the mission of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we think about what a great opportunity he had to impact others. Father, he did great things in healing in casting out demons, in diseases, and to think about having those. If someone, the gentle healer, who he came into the town and touched blind eyes, but yet that wasn't his primary mission. And sometimes I believe that people were distracted in that, and that they were the ones who simply focused on the miracles, but not on the mission. And God, I just pray that you would help us to not be distracted by the events that occur in our life, the circumstances, but to truly be sensitive to the Spirit's prompting in our life and fulfilling each day the plans that you have for our lives. And as we reflect upon the life of Jesus Christ, our desires that you are honored and glorified. Maybe there be someone here this morning who would just simply say, you know what? I haven't really thought about it. I've just lived my own life. And I just pray that this morning you would simply say, hey, I, I want to be sensitive and I simply want to be more willing to lead what God has for my life. If you're here this morning and maybe God has touched your heart, just simply put your hand up, slip it back down. I just simply want to pray for you. Say, I want God to take first place in my life and to allow him to help me 
And maybe you think there's nothing that I can do, but there is. You may simply be by yourself, but yet God has a, a plan for your life. You are not alone, and God desires to use you, and there are things that you can do. Just simply want to pray for each one, and just as you think about what God has. In just a few moments, we have a special. They're going to sing a song about Christ, and I just want you to reflect upon that. And uh, just listen to the words as they sing together um, tonight. Shall we pray? Amen.